Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Come on down right here on Jam Session. Sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is, you've made it. This is Jam Session, the podcast, version 200, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Our, I think the balloons went off for number 200. Our 200th podcast episode, a testament to all of you who are listening. Our numbers continue to go up because you guys are telling people about it. You're sharing the links when we tweet them out. I mean, quite honestly, it's a testament to all of you who listen. If you've ever told somebody or posted on your social media about us or something, then pat yourself on the back or see if your your lady will hook you up because, man, you deserve it. Dude, do you ever? We appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you supporting our various sponsors yeah. and keeping them uh, afloat with us. And, uh, dude, we have a good time doing it. Yeah, we do. And, and we're glad we can continue doing it. Means a lot to us, man. 200th episode. It's pretty awesome, I, I have to say. I don't know that we thought it would be 200 when we started. Maybe we figured it would, but I don't know that, that I was like, oh, yeah, 200, mark it down in, in, in ink. Uh, we'll, we'll make it happen because, you know, we've just been, uh, what's the word we use? Fired from ESPN, let go, laid off, whatever terminology. Yeah, we weren't use. fired. Fired is like we did something wrong, I feel like. And we, we, we were kicking ass. We didn't do anything wrong. It was just the pandemic and horrible timing. I mean, I honestly believe if pandemic hadn't hit, we'd still be doing a show on ESPN Radio in Dallas. Oh, I don't have any doubt that we'd be doing it. I mean, that's just reality of it. And we'd be very competitive. And some of the other stations yeah. would start being like, hey, what the hell? Yeah, when's your contract up so we can just come hire you? Yeah, pretty much. Like at the flagship, they'd be like, wait a second. You guys don't just say random weird shit and act like it's true? <laughs> nah, fellas, we actually know shit. I mean, my uh, God, did you see that bit they got into it with Ed Werder? I was like, what are you guys oh, doing? No, no, no. I, I miss it. Do tell because I love a few things I like um, better than messing with the flagship. I mean, it, it was, I was trying, I was going to go back on his Twitter because it was, it was a whole Twitter situation that Ed had gotten into and, and he didn't even do anything wrong. It, it was, oh, what was it about? It was something I'm trying to think, God, Ed tweets a lot. Jeez. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Cause it was after last weekend and I'm trying to remember what it was, but there was a back and forth where he was like, I mean, what are you guys talking about? Basically? Oh, I remember what it was. So Jerry Jones said that he was going to call into the fan 
and the KNC show or whatever it's called is going to interview him. And Ed, basically, because they aren't allowed, the media doesn't ever get to interview Jerry Jones anymore in a setting in which they can really push him. Right. And Ed basically, and I'm paraphrasing it here, this is not a direct quote or anything, but Ed basically just said, you know, it'd be nice if he would talk to the real media, essentially, and instead of the station. And so then all the guys on the fan, like, went nuts on that. And Ed was like, I'm basically just saying there's a difference between it being interviewed for your by your flagship radio station and being interviewed by the non-biased media who can ask things that the radio station isn't going to. Which is 100% true. Yeah, and oh my gosh, they went back and forth for a while. And I'm sure like, you know, all the uh, certain people were just eating them up. Like Shane like ripped him on the air, apparently. We'll have I mean, to ask really? him because he's going to be on our podcast later this week. Yeah, no, I mean, come on, man. And I just remember seeing this. I was like, guys, this is Ed Werder. You know, they're going to, you know, like, really, the guy, the one of the most confrontational reporters in the business right now uh, who ask any question that you, you may be afraid to ask, he'll ask it. And so, you know, you can say whatever you want to about Ed and his personality if that doesn't rub you the right way. But he is one bad toilet of cuss word as a reporter, dog. I mean, he's he's elite. And um, you can't get your, your draws in a wide because he says you're not asking tough questions because we've all heard those interviews and we all know that you ain't. Yeah, man. I mean, it is – it's impressive. It is impressive that somebody just – I don't know. I don't know. And, and I guess Kalashaw got on it too because multiple people just kind of were going after both of them and it became a thing. I was like, look, you're talking about two dudes that have been doing this for a long time and the reality of it is – we used to talk about this when we are on ESPN. We could say things about the Cowboys that the flagship won't say because of the relationship that they have. They're not trying to burn those bridges. We didn't care. There's <laughs> exactly. a difference in that, and for them to act like that is horseshit, and they know it. It's okay, man. You work for the flagship. It, it is what it is. I mean, we were the Mavericks flagship station, and there were times they're like, uh, I remember one time management came by and said, hey, JJT, can you just kind of, you know, keep it – Keep it a little positive today. The Mavericks a little rough spot. I go, well, bro, I just kind of asked the questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they are what they are. And that's because I considered myself, uh, you know, here goes my air quotes, a real reporter. Which means, you know, if somebody's not playing good, you, you got to ask why they're not playing good. And when they get your answer, you got to say, well, why is that? You know what I'm saying? Until you get to the actual why. Uh, somebody is or is not playing well. And so um, because I was raised as a real reporter, you know, being on the flagship was just, I don't know what to tell you, dog. This is the way I, this is the way I get down. Yeah, and it's wild because, I mean, I mean, again, so Ed basically explains this. My criticism is directed at Jerry's decision not to speak to reporters who cover his team, but to talk on the official Cowboy station. And he's telling Shan this from from the flagship. If you want to take that as some personal attack, then, uh, then acknowledging the obvious difference, then there's nothing else to say. And, you know, Shan responds. This is him talking directly to Ed Werder on Twitter. You're full of shit. You have suggested multiple times this season that we don't ask the right questions because of our partnership. You literally just took a personal shot at Mike Bassick, so don't try and spin it. Because Ed kind of pointed out, you have somebody working on your station who, who was factually incorrect and reported something that nobody else was saying. It was g colossally wrong, and nobody ever said anything about it. Like, they yeah, were just no like, oh. personal shot. That's a fact. I know, and that's basically what Werder came back and said. He said, first, I don't engage in name-calling. 
Second, I mentioned what someone reported because they reported that. That goes to credibility, which is 100% right. And it always is weird to me. The fans done this a couple of times where they have blatantly said things as, as fact that they are reporting that are not true. And it's like nobody cares. No, because there's no accountability, bro. It's so strange to me. Like, I, I just find that bizarre. And I like those guys. I mean, they're nice guys, but the fact that most of them anyway, but the fact that they'll do stuff like that and, and I don't know, you know, it's like as Kyle Shaw points out, and I know, man, we talk about going down the rabbit hole to start the podcast, but whatever. This is why we do a podcast. podcast. Exactly. See, we said that at the same time. Kyle Shaw responded to this because he was trying to explain. It. He goes, okay, here it goes. He goes. Mike on on the radio, Mike Bassick's first question to Jerry last week began, Jerry, for me, the depression of the Cowboys not playing has set in. That's not a reporter's question. That's a fan talking to Jerry. That is the whole concept of your station, which is fine. Stop pretending like it's not. Boom. And he, Shut it down in the conversation. <laughs> I mean, he's right. He's exactly right. I mean, how do we not understand all of this? But I thought that that was wild, man. That, Dude, you know, the, the people who get defensive are the people who don't who, who are trying to be something that they're not. Yeah. I used to work with one of those cats. And, you know, the thing I love about Matt, and Matt had this conversation with me the very first day we met. Or he says we met one time before, but I don't remember that. So I don't that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and the conversation went something like, hey, man, I'm just saying this because of my recent experience. Don't try to be me, dog. You know, I'm a reporter. I do what I do. I go out there, I do this, I do that. And Matt looked at me like, yo, asshole, I'm not trying to be you. I never said I was a reporter. I'm an entertainer. This is what I do. Or something to that effect. Um, yeah, pretty and, much. And so, and so Matt is very aware of, like, this is what I do. This is who I am. And I'm not trying to not be who I am. And I can be critical or I can cheer for the team. I can criticize the team. But I always do it from a fan's perspective because, in essence, I am a fan. And that's cool. There ain't nothing wrong with that. All you have to do is accept it. Uh, it's the people who don't accept it that get all defensive about it, man. It's like if you're a hoe, you're a hoe. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, you, you are what you are. I mean, that's just the reality right. of this. So, If you you're know, no good, dirty bum who don't pay child support, then you're no good, <laughs> dirty bum who don't pay child support. I mean, that's just who yeah. you are. And this guy, it, it got so wonky, and I've seen this before. You know, and I've never looked at myself as a journalist. I, I just don't see it like that. And I've talked about this before. That in, in there's a reason why, like a lot of the times in radio, people will have like, for instance, the ticket does this. The ticket has various like David Moore has a segment. I, I forget, like once or twice a week on the ticket because he's a reporter. And so they're going yeah. to ask him, you are reporting certain things. You have inside contacts and it's just different than what they are doing. I don't think the guys on the ticket would sit there and say, oh, yeah, we're reporters. Hell no, they're not. Stern might be the only one who would even casually suggest that he is. Outside of that, I, none of those guys would look at themselves like that. No, matter of fact, they're terrific entertainers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the whole point of what they do. And they know that, hey, when we want to get serious and have serious conversations, what do they do? They get like the David Moores and the Jacques of the world and, and Todd Archer and whatnot. They get them and they talk to them because they're saying, this guy is saying, I am reporting this. What most sports talk stations are about is commentating and offering opinion on someone's report. Yeah. Just so we know. They, yeah. And that's what they do a lot of because they're not creating their own content in a lot of cases. 
you know, they're reacting to something that somebody else is, yeah. has created. So we get all that out of the way just to start for whatever reason. You know, maybe somebody just needs to call the attorneys at Greening Law. Maybe you've been hurt in a car accident, and that's where this is the feistiness is coming from. Or you've experienced malpractice from a physician or a hospital. You were injured on the premises of a business. You need to call the lawyers at Greening Law. They're going to get you taken care of, man. It is a simple call. I made the call. I was on the phone with them for like 10 minutes. They asked me some questions, and then they called me back. And they're like, all right, we've reviewed everything, and, and you've got a case. We're going to take you on. I was like, okay, sweet. What now? They said, oh, we got you. Don't worry about it. You take care of you. I said, oh, okay, easy enough. Yeah, who's going who's gonna to fight that? And, and that's what Grinning Law does, and that's why um, you know, people find them to be really good at what they do. It's because they, they give you the answers to questions that you didn't even know were going to be asked. Um, they take care of the little things so you can focus on getting better. And then at the end of the day, man, they don't get paid unless you get paid, which means they are grinding on a daily basis mm-hmm. to help you get get what uh, what you deserve if you've been in an accident. So give them a call. It's free. The consultation is free. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, Offices, Dallas, Texas. Also, of course, if you haven't done it yet, you're going to need to at some point. You have to swing through Freeway Tire Shop, and you say, well, what do you mean? Well, you have a car. Your car needs an oil change. It needs new tires. It's going to need mechanic work. And the one thing that you want to do when you need car work done is take it somewhere you can trust, which is why Jacques takes every single one of his cars there and has multiple times. Dude, um, it's about the trust for me, man. Um, And here's what I'm talking about. My, uh, my dude had a flat last week. I sent him over the freeway. He got a new tire in less than an hour, and it literally cost $124 less than the price he was quoted somewhere else uh, when it first happened. And so when we're talking about trust, man, we're talking about, number one, I always trust JR to diagnose the problem, and then I trust him to use quality parts. I trust him to give me a fair price. You know what I'm saying? He ain't yeah. got to gouge people. I trust him to give me a fair price, and then I trust him to stand behind his work. Which means if my son had driven home and two days later that tire had like a slow leak in it, he could show back up at freeway. Jared would be like, hey, let me see what's wrong with it. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, get back out of here. See you later, kid. Tell your dad I said hello. <laughs> he does that for everybody, though. This ain't like some Jacques yeah, Taylor, some yeah. Jam says, or some Matt McLaren special when he pops into town. No, this is the way JR is all the time. That's very true. It's fantastic. It's elite customer service. He'll get you taken care of. You can request a quote. You can schedule an appointment. You can do it all online at freewaytireshop.com. So we continue our conversation here. And after our rabbit hole conversation about radio and journalism and all that, we were going to start off because you had an interesting article that you talk about DAC and the contract. And I got to say, man... I completely agree. Oh, man, you don't have to say that just because we're boys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, you know, I, you know I've, been, I've been on Twitter this week, like, like all the time, and I'm just like the number of people who think, oh, Dak sucks, or we're never winning a Super Bowl with Dak, Dak's no good, and Dak's this, and Dak can't play. And I'm just like, y'all are drunk, man. And then I go, the dude had, this is Dak's bad season. Like, we all say he didn't play. Like, anybody's got a half a brain. He didn't play good the last two months of the season. He played okay. Not bad, but he played okay. And he wasn't good in the playoffs. And so, in his bad season, he throws 37 TDs, 
10 picks. That plus 27 TD interception differential, that trails only Tom Brady at 31 and Aaron Rodgers at 30. So, yeah, dude, that means he's better than Mahomes. He's better than Burrow. He's better than Stafford. He's better than Josh Allen. You know, I didn't say he was a better player. I just said those particular numbers, which right. are two numbers we all care about, were third best in the league. And he threw for damn near 4,500 yards. And so what I'm saying is he's not a bum, okay? So can we stop that? He can win with him. But, you know, he's got to play better. And the reality is when he signed that contract, he quit being a cute little story, a fourth-round pick out of uh, Mississippi State. He became the man who needs to get us where Staubach and Aikman took us. You're exactly right, and I've said that all along. Hey, Dak Prescott, the Cowboys blew his unbelievably cheap rookie deal when most teams try to take advantage of that, and that is the reality. You get paid that contract because the belief is you are winning a championship. You don't get paid that contract because we think you're really good. You get paid that contract because we think you can win a ring or, in some cases, you won a ring on your rookie deal and you're basically being rewarded. Why? Because you've already won one. We believe you can win again, so we're going to pay you this kind of money. And the fact that Dak got the contract, and I've said this, and yeah, I, I love Dak. At, at times, I've been a Dak defender. But to me, I think if you don't get a, a Super Bowl ring out of Dak Prescott, you look at it and you go, wow. That contract didn't work. Dude, that's why he got the money. And it, and it's cool because I think Dak is certainly capable of doing it, you know. Um, now the team's got to play better around him. And I think that's that's the difference this, this year. Like, he, he just didn't look right, man. If he had thrown for 360 yards and three touchdowns and no interceptions, then we'd be saying, okay, they got a lot of problems, but the quarterback ain't one of them. Yeah. But if you look at that game, not with a fan's eye, but with a – person who understands football i i'm just gonna tell you man now there are outliers so don't don't come at me with joe burrow right now but you get sacked five times and you get pressured 20 times in 43 attempts which i think was the final number dude it's hard for any quarterback including tom brady and aaron Rodgers, um to win like that and Rodgers didn't play good same san francisco defense that kicked dax ass kicked his ass too yeah um and, you know, Brady didn't play great, uh, which is why they were down 27-3. to three. So it's hard to win. Uh, be thankful that you, has a, that you have a quarterback capable of winning. Doesn't mean he wins all the time, but he's capable. And as I like to say, we went through a long stretch where you didn't have no capable dudes, bro. We did. But, again, the reality of it is, is it's the ring is the thing. And we've talked about this many times the ring is what the quarterback position is judged on. Yes, sir. And unless you're going to shatter records and do things nobody ever did like Dan Marino, and you look at it and go, man, how did that dude never win a ring? There are very, very few quarterbacks that we would circle and say they're one of the greats if you don't have a ring next to your name. Very few. But that's what they play the game for. You play to win. Quarterbacks are judged on how they perform in the playoffs. And if Dak Prescott never at least gets to a Super Bowl, you know, you look at this and you just go, well, then where the what was the money for? The money is to win. The money is to get the ring. And the expectation is this is the guy that can deliver it to us. Now, like you pointed out, the team around you has got to be right. I mean, that's part of the reason why Dan Marino never got back to another one and never won one. It was because they never got the team around them all the way right. 
you know, and then you can get there like Jim Kelly played in four straight Super Bowls and you can just right. run into a buzzsaw or your kicker can miss a kick after you did everything you were supposed to do and, and you never quite get the ring. So there are there are instances that you see that that never happens. But, you know, generally speaking, if you're the quarterback and you're that good, like like you can even look and we've talked about this with Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. Each of them have only ever played in one Super Bowl, but they're always in the conversation. Aaron Rodgers has played in multiple NFC title games. Drew Brees played in multiple NFC title games. They were they were at least in the conversation for that opportunity. And so far with with Dak, the Cowboys haven't been. Yeah. And uh, they haven't even sniffed it. They haven't been close and they've wasted uh, at least two opportunities. You know, 16 and this year were the two best opportunities, I think. Uh, and, you know, the last time, you know, if you want to argue that they wasted that one, you can say that. Um, so, yeah, they've been three and six. I think the hard part for them is, and that's why this year is so crucial, bro. It's that um, they haven't, uh, you know, we're just going to keep hammering this, man, because it is what it is, dog. They haven't had consecutive winning seasons where they've made the playoffs since 06 and 07. Which is insane. They haven't won back-to-back 10-game seasons since 95, 96. Not back-to-back. Now, think about that, man. Lots of teams have put just two good years back-to-back. That's it. Because 10-6 in the old NFL was a good record. It wasn't a great record. It was a good record. We yeah. had a good season. Yeah. It wasn't 11-5, 12-4. They haven't – and the thing that drives people so insane about this franchise is the lack of consistency. Every other year, every other year, every other year. So the big thing is, can y'all just get back in the fucking hunt next year and get to a playoffs with a team that ain't going to be as good as the one you had this year? Yeah, man, and, and that's one of those things. When you, look, when you talk about it that way, and you know we're going to have Todd Archer on the podcast coming up here in just a bit as he joins us every week, but he put out an article, and, and he's right. It, it was The headline on it was, Why the Cowboys' Contention Window Might Not Be Wide Open. And I was like, it isn't. And, and you look at the list of free agents that this team, that are unrestricted free agents. Now, you don't want to bring all of them back, of course. Some of them you may want to bring back and you're not going to be able to. But, man, you are losing some big pieces that you don't realize how much. Like Dalton Schultz a great example to me of what we're talking about. Of It's not like Dalton Schultz is Travis Kelsey. But Dalton Schultz was sure as hell a nice piece while you had him. And now the question is going to be, will you be able to afford a guy who, because of an injury to Blake Jarwin, you kind of realize this guy can do some stuff where some other team going to swoop in that has a ton of cap space and is like, well, we'll give you $12 million. Why not? No, I think Dalton Schultz is gone. But, you know, you signed Blake, Blake Jarwin to beat Dalton Schultz before Dalton Schultz got an opportunity before Jake Luke right. because Blake Jarwin was hurt. So Blake Jarwin is the guy you look up and go, Dude, if Blake, if Dalton Schultz did that, that that ought to be your standard. That ought to be, you know, the floor for you, uh, given the way the offense is, or you know, somewhere in that ballpark. But you ought to be able to catch balls and and make plays the way Dalton Schultz did. Yeah, who we thought you were when we signed you. See, and that's the hope because you go down this list and there's so many of these dudes, you know, and some of them we like Connor Williams. Whatever you can replace that guy, you can find them. You know, four wide receivers, including Michael Gallup. Uh, several dudes along the defense with Dorrance Armstrong and Randy Gregory, Brent Urban, Carlos Watkins. Now, some of these guys were on one-year deals, and maybe they re-sign. Keanu Neal, Malik Hooker, DeMonte Casey, Curse are great examples of maybe they just want to sign another one-year deal and come back with Dan Quinn being here. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do to this roster and who they're able to bring back and, and the moves they have to make to make it all fit under the cap. 
what team's going to show up in August when training camp rolls around and and what we think of that team on paper. Because the last couple of years, we've all kind of looked at this and said, man, this is a team that can do some things, and they haven't. Yeah. Now, you can be less talented and win games. Sure. If you become a team that, and we say this about a few teams, the Patriots are the one we always say this about. If you can become a team that you force the other team to beat you, like you don't turn the ball over, you're in the bottom third of the league in penalties, your special teams are flawless. You can win games like that. Um, you know, you play good, sound, fundamental football and force the other team to beat you. You can certainly win games like that. We just ain't seen this team do that with any kind of regularity. No, we have not. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting offseason. We all know there's a lot of unanswered questions, and who knows? Maybe a lesser team and not hearing, oh, this is one of the best, most talented teams we've had. Maybe that is better for us. And then maybe we look at it and go, oh, this is an eight and nine win team. And then they exceed expectations. And when they lose in the playoffs, like, holy crap, I didn't even know they'd make the playoffs. That's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think some of that is uh, is certainly worthy. But I think the bottom line is, man, and, and I talk about this, and I think you kind of uh, – I'm thinking. I know Clarence poo-poos it. I think you kind of poo-poo it too. Not Maybe not as much as Clarence, but, I mean, dude – Everybody on this current franchise is being dragged for the sins of the failures that they had nothing to do with. And so you just have to accept that, that you're getting dragged in part because Romo dropped the snap in Seattle. Or, you know, Dez with the catch that should have been a catch that wasn't a catch. Maybe they would have hung on and won by a miracle that year that everybody seems to forget. Um, Or 2007, you know, with the Creighton drop and everything else. And every time, every year the Cowboys don't get there, Dak is like, I'm in year six, man. Why are you blaming me for something that happened when I was in middle school? Or I was in the 12th, in the sixth grade in 2007. Or, you know, why are you blaming me for Romo's drop? But it doesn't matter, man. It's the fans' frustration with the franchise that knows no bounds. And so you just have to deal with that shit. The reality of it is it's the cliche, but it's very true, especially in this situation. If you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. And right now, they haven't solved shit. So you're a part of the problem. Yeah. That's just how it is. It is what it is, bro. It is. So we move forth here, and we got to take a trip around the block. And I think Jock's going to have a fun story for all of us that I can't wait to find (laughs) out about. But have you made the call to Hector Flores yet? Have you picked up the phone realizing that your financial future is not what you want it to be? Or maybe you haven't even realized it because you don't know where to start. I can tell you this. Starting with Hector is a really good first step. Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America, 940-453-3490. He's a good dude. He's a local guy. And it doesn't cost anything to meet with him. And I think that that's part of it. The hardest thing is is knowing when to start. The hardest thing is really, I think, picking up the phone and making that first phone call and saying, Hector, I don't even know what to ask you. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how to get started. But but you got to at least give him a call so that he can help you. Dude, you give him a call just because the thing that, that he does is he creates a game plan for you, man. And then once you got a game plan, you're like anybody else, man. It's following the game plan. If the game plan says, hey, put 10% of your income in a savings account over here, you ain't got to think about it, Matt. When your check comes, hopefully you got it set up so it direct deposits that 10% over there. Maybe it puts 25% over here. Basically, you just follow the game plan that he creates based on whether you when you tell him you want to be aggressive, you want to be conservative, you want to be middle of the road, whatever you want, 
He creates a game plan and then daggone it, you just follow that thing and wait for success. Make it happen. Give him a call. 940-453-3490. 940-453-3490. It's Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Also, of course, brought to you by the new online women's boutique. Have you checked out the selection at KinleyRose.com yet? If you haven't, guys, I'm telling you, if you're listening to this, you realize that we're less than two weeks away from Valentine's Day, right? One of the hardest things, I think, in any relationship is what am I going to do for Valentine's Day? You've already done chocolates. You've done flowers. You're talking about cliches. Have you ever thought about giving her a gift certificate? an online gift certificate so that she can pick out what she wants at kinleyrose.com. She'll find a cute new outfit. She'll probably wear it for you at some point when you go out for a date night. Again, it's kinleyrose.com, K-I-N-L-E-Y, rose.com. Focusing on attainable style without sacrificing comfort, a local small business you support small when you shop at Kinley Rose. You can check them out on their Instagram at shop kinley rose and keep in mind if you do order use the promo code jam session 10 you'll get 10 percent off your first order i'm telling you keep that in mind go get an outfit for yourself go get an outfit for your lady or you can do it the online the e-gift cards as they call them you could put one of those over for your lady for valentine's day and let her choose her own outfit at kinleyrose.com so as we do put on our shoes and get ready for this trip around the block this is going to be a fun one because you, and this is weird because right before we started recording the podcast, you oh, I got to use a senior citizen's discount for the first time ever. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean you got to use one? Because I like, how are you a senior? Bro. So check this out, man. <laughs> I'm breaking news. I'm breaking news on the podcast. Yeah, I know I've been working out forever. All right. Um, I changed some things last year and switched some things out. I made a lot of progress. And I've been sitting under 200 pounds for, a, uh, for about six weeks now. I'm really happy with myself, really pleased with myself. And so last weekend, bro, don't laugh at me, Matt. I said to myself, self, let's do something wild. Let's not tell anybody. Let's just, just venture off and do something wild. That's what happens when you get my age. You're like... Let's just have an adventure. Um, I told Matt earlier this week, I took a ride on a dart train. And because um, I'd never done it. I yeah. know I live in Dallas, but I'd never done it. And, and so I took a ride. So I said to myself, I want to do something that I've done in forever. It's just for me. I'm going swimming. And you're like, it's the middle of wintertime. Yeah, but that's what the hell natatoriums are for. And so... Um, I went out to I went out to uh, Allen because I didn't want to be anywhere where anybody would know me, or so I hoped. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm riding out to Allen, man. I'm in the natatorium. I start off, and so I walk in, and I go. I tell a guy, I say, "Hey." And now there's a lot of people out there, more people than I really figured. And I said, "Hey, I just want an open swim." Um, and the guy said, "Okay, that'll be uh, five bucks." And I handed him ten, and I go, "Hey, hey, hey." This says 55 and under, I mean older, is four bucks, not five. There you go. I said, can I have my dollar back? And the dude looked at me and started laughing. And this lady next to him goes, well, sir, you shouldn't look so young. I said, you damn right, but I do. 
And so they gave me the discount, man. And I was all happy. And so uh, I went and sat in the hot tub for a little while, limbered up the old muscles. And then, now I'm no Matt McLaren swimmer. Yeah. But I got over there and did one lap. <laughs> one lap? Okay. You got to start I mean, How many laps you think I'm going to do, dog? I don't know. Just I, like 20? I don't know. Shit, I donkey paddled half the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I got halfway. I got halfway down. I'm That's like, awesome. fuck, I'm t- dude. I got halfway down. I'm like, fuck. I'm tired. <laughs> Were you wearing a speedo? I'm not that sexy. Okay. I'm not that sexy. Right. I got a regular. I got a regular swim trunks, but I'm looking good because my arms look good and my traps look good. And my back looks good. So you know, my midsection. Yeah, I've been doing abs every day, but I still got some work. But I look. You know, in general, I look fine. I mean, I look good. Good enough for a 55-year-old man. So I, so I got my discount. And then I started thinking, dog, you know, this discount life, I, I mean, hey, if it's out there, it's out there. Who am I to be so vain and narcissistic that I go, I don't want your discount. I make plenty of money. I said, I don't know because it ain't me. And so I started looking around, man. Did you know that Kroger has a seniors day Tuesday or Wednesday? 10% off your groceries, bro. How about that? Really? Dude! But yes! see, what I don't get is, like, I never, I didn't know anybody considered 55 and older a senior. Bro, I didn't either till I saw it, man. Hey, Valvoline Instant Oil Change. There's one up the street from me, man, at the corner of, uh, of uh, I think, 67 and Beltline. 10% off if you're 55 or older. Hello! Um, dude. Sprint has a plan if you're 55 and older. What? Dude, I'm finna, once I get off the podcast, I'm calling them like, y'all need to redo my plan, bro. 20%, 20 freaking percent at Walgreens, man. Every Tuesday, 55 and older. Hey, 55, baby. I'm rocking with it. Dude, there's all kind of great stuff. Dude, you get a discount at these restaurants if you're 55 or older. Bob Evans. Bonefish Grill, Carabas, Carl's Jr., Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Chili's, Dairy Queen, Einstein Bagels. I love a good uh, cranberry bagel with peanut butter. I haven't had one in a while because of the cars, but I love those. IHOP, Jack in the Box, Jiffy Lube, KFC. Bro, it's great to be 55. Now, I just turned 55 like a month ago. But, dude, I'm all happy about it now. McDonald's, breakfast, all, all kind of things, man. <laughs> Outback. Dude, this is fantastic. This Salt is, grass. So wild. TCBY, T-Mobile. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Wendy's. I get, dude, if I didn't have control, I'd be a fat guy again. I'd go eat just because i get a discount. That is amazing. Like, like, I just, why 55? Like, I thought my whole life it was always 65 and older. No, nah, it's definitely 60, but... I hadn't been, dude, I was not aware until I took my ass to the natatorium and got in the pool. That is amazing. And I only did that because I was feeling good about myself. And I was like, eh, I wonder if anybody will hit on me if I show up in the swimming <laughs> did, you take, so can, did you take the so dart feel, to the pool? I'm not that bold. Okay. I, I, drove, my, I drove myself. But um, again, man, you know, I'm you know, part of uh, as you get older, I just decided there's a lot of shit going on in Dallas, a lot of things to do in Dallas, and uh, I'm just going to explore them, damn it. 
All right, you know what? There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nah, man. So I'm all hyped about all the discounts for being 55 and uh, and older now. That's fantastic. <laughs> Interesting. I see. I never would have guessed that. So where did you ride the dart to? Like wh- where? What oh, time of day? And where did you go? Dude, I just okay. Here's here's a big thing because again, I'm trying to be wild, and so I go. Should I even pay? Or Ooh. should I just get? Or Ooh, should I just get? A- that could be wild. <laughs> and I said. So should I just get on it? Uh, and I just I just drove downtown and caught it downtown, and so um, I'm like, you know, hey, uh, I don't know. So I said, I, I, since I don't know what I'm doing, and the the website is awful. Okay, let me just say that they don't get enough information on, on the website. Then I tried to get the app, and the app wouldn't work. So I was really pissy. I was like, I almost don't know if I should do this. Uh, but then I went over there. I got on the train. I bought a ticket, and I hopped on. And as soon as I hopped on, I saw a dude rolling a joint. <laughs> there, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I'm talking about, and this was kind of a fat joint because he was licking his lips and getting it just right, and he's rolling it. And I, I just looked at him and I started laughing. This is after I saw the crackhead talking to himself on the on the uh, thing before we got on there. Yep. And so now I'm on there and um, I'm sitting down and I'm just checking the scenery out. There's a kid who looks like he's skipping school who just gets on because he looks like he's about 15. Like, shouldn't your ass be in school, son? Probably. And then a couple of meth heads get on. Or they could be crackheads, either or. Uh, but I noticed that the crackheads or the meth heads were the only people I saw slide their ticket through the thing when you get on the train. So I was like, okay. So I had a ticket, but I didn't slide it in the slot because uh, I didn't know there was a slot to slide it in until they did it. And I go, oh, okay. I got a ticket in case anybody asked me. Yeah. So now I go, now I, could have, now I didn't have to pay. I could have just got on. Because compared to everybody else on here, they're not going to ask me if I got a ticket. They'll just assume I <laughs> <laughs> paid. The dart is yes. a, woo. So I rode the green line, dude. And so okay. it, went, it went through South Dallas, and then it went through, uh, don't judge me now. Then it went through, uh, like, Lake June and Pleasant Grove. And I was riding in the middle of the day. And so it was kind of a chilly day, and there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of activity. It was kind of boring after about six or seven stops. And so don't judge me, man. I got off and caught an Uber home. <laughs> Dude, I don't blame you. I really don't. And I've talked about this before. I used to take the dart every day going to work, and it got so bad. Like the people that you're surrounded by, because I didn't go, like when I went, it was okay. But a lot of the times it'd be after dark and I would leave the station I worked for at the time, like kind of right right after normal business hours. Right. And so, man, I'd get on there with the weirdest ass people, like homeless people who just get on there and and they'll write it. And then they see a cop get on. They just get off immediately, you know, and, and, and people that are just singing out loud next to you and they reek and they stink. And I just thought, I mean, no, I'm out. I would rather sit in traffic for an hour than surround myself with this shit show. Yes, sir. And so I stopped using it. I mean, I literally stopped. And I'll tell you one thing that's awesome about it. It works. I mean, if if it tells you you're going to be from point A to point B in 40 minutes, you are there in 40 minutes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But outside of that, man, I hate to say it. I don't know what the hell the dart offers. Just that convenience if you want it or, you know, if you're saving gas or something like that and you can deal with it. And, you know, it might be serviceable now with headphones and I, and books and iPads and stuff where you can really just put your head down and try to ignore everything around you till it's time to get off. Yeah, it's hard, man. I mean, I, I used to try that. 
and, and I would do the headphone thing. I would read a book. I just try to zone out. And I mean, this one, like just, he had to be a homeless guy who sat, not even in the seat next to me, like behind me or something and smelled like the inside of a dead body's butthole. And I just was like, I'm wow. done. Like, I can't handle this. I'm out. Like, this is unbelievable. I got to tell you, I'm 55, and I've never heard that term used before. <laughs> the inside of a dead person's butthole. Well, it's a senior citizen's discounted phrase. So now that I know, <laughs> I gave it to you. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that one came up, but there it is. So, yeah, I mean, the dart experience. And I'm sure some people ride the dart, and it's just what it is. And I honestly, like, I, I've taken it to games. And it's totally different if you're riding it going to games or if you are riding it in peak work time hours, I think you're yeah. totally cool. But man, if you're not riding it in peak hours, like even in the middle of the day, you'll see the weirdest shit on the dart. Yeah, which I wasn't. And so I did. I mean, I saw people using it as a moving van once. Like these two people, they just started loading boxes onto it and then they'd get <laughs> in and they got off at a stop and took the boxes out. And apparently they were there i heard him talking to somebody like oh yeah we just you know we get our boxes on here man and we do this bro <laughs> and i was like god how many drugs did you do today before you started moving bro whole lot of i mean what are we doing oh so again as we mentioned earlier guys we are in episode 200 of the podcast and before we get to our conversation with todd archer just wanted to yes thank you very much and you guys have done a phenomenal job supporting our sponsors, and it's been really cool to see. It really helps us. It truly does, and we've explained that process before. But we are looking for new sponsors, and if you'd like to jump on with us here on the Jam Session podcast, it's easy to do. We've got some different things that we work with. We, we always want to work with our sponsors and, and try to help you guys as much as we can to get the word out. If it's a local small business that's fantastic, or if you know somebody that owns a business that might be interested, let us know. You can shoot me an email, matt at jamsessionpodcast.com. It's M-A-T-T at jamsessionpodcast.com. And let us know a little bit about your business, what you've got going on. Maybe it's a fit, maybe it's not, who knows? But we are looking to add a couple of sponsors to keep this thing rolling through 2022. So reach out if the feeling moves you. And send me an email. It is time once again we do this each and every week, as many of you know by now. We check in with our ESPN Cowboys insider, brought to you as always by Blue Star Motor Group and BlueStarMotorGroup.com. Todd Archer joining us. And Arch, as Jacques would love to point out, it, it wasn't necessarily a story. Maybe it will be. But you did have the tweet, I guess it was yesterday, talking about Dak Prescott, who passed on the opportunity to play in the Pro Bowl so that he could get some rest after a long year of rehab from the ankle and the calf and whatnot. Um, do, you re do we read anything into this with Dak, and, and, and maybe he was more hurt than perhaps he let on? Well, I don't know if it was the fact that he was more hurt. I think you read into it that it was a long season for him, and, and not just a long season. It was a long year. Remember, I mean, it, this was a guy that was rehabbing at this time a year ago just trying to – walk right again let alone get ready to play a football season so I, I just think and then you factor in you know he goes from the the, the ankle and, and all that stuff and then he goes into training camp and then he's got to rehab the shoulder then he gets to the season and the calf thing pops up and then there there are assorted bumps and bruises that we probably had no idea about uh that all of these guys have right that he just kind of said all right i need to take a break and the only reason that i like it I, I made the phone call to say, okay, did Dak pull out of this thing because 
there's no way Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson made the Pro Bowl over him based on his season. So that's when I got the – he just wanted to take a little mental break, relax physically, get everything straight again after all the time that it took getting ready to play the season. And, and I absolutely 100% understand where he was coming from because of all the stuff that he had to go through just to get ready to play. You know, I think it's an interesting thing, man. I don't think any of us think that Dak played his best football the last two months of the season. But then you come out and you see Pat Mahomes, the best in the game, put on what I thought was an awful performance in the last half of the the game of the championship game. And to me, it just puts it all in perspective that quarterback is the hardest job in, in sports and um, anybody can have a bad day. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely 100% uh, agree with what you're saying. That it, And, and it, let's take it a step further. Maybe I'll go back to, to the position, but let's go a step further and say it's really hard to win a Super Bowl unless your name's not Tom Brady. Right. I mean, it's so it's hard. Look at how good Mahomes was in that first half. You know, their first three drives, they score and score touchdowns. And I think he has one incomplete pass. It all changed at the end of the first half on the decision that his decision to throw it to Tyree Kill, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy's decision to call that play to where it wasn't, hey, if the guy's not there, just throw it away and we'll get our field goal. Um, Everything changed after that. And that's where you give the Bengals credit for altering their approach and their scheme in their second half. That did Tyree Kill have a catch in the second half? I don't know. The fact that we don't know means they did a good job on him. Yeah, Cause, right. Because right. maybe and, he did. Maybe he did. He, that's where the the answer that I always hate of the the other guys get paid too actually is a true statement because they they did a really good job of flummoxing the, the Chiefs and Mahomes into. Making him look, you, you mentioned it, Jacques. You made him look average. And then you go to Jacques, uh, Dak's last however many games, save the, the Atlanta game, the Denver, uh, the uh, Philly game, and Washington game, he looked average. He didn't look the same guy as it was in the first six weeks. And that's the answer the Cowboys, th- th- this entire offseason should be about. What happened to this offense? And it's not just one thing, it's not Dak stinks. It's not now, now we get people calling Kellen Moore like just this doofus, like a guy who doesn't know how to call any sort of plays. <laughs> well, that's not true either. And, and the offensive line, you know, I might put most of it on the offensive line and where they are right now as a group and as a coach that that was the biggest downfall to the Cowboys season. They weren't as good as they were in the first six weeks of the year, be it health, be it how they were coached, what they were being coached or how they did not adjust to what they were seeing. That leads me to this, man. And it's probably what I was thinking. I just didn't say it right, which is you now get a bunch of people who say, well, Dak sucks and Dak's not any good and we can never win with Dak. And I'm like, the dude had – this is his – This is we just said he didn't play that great the second half of the season. And he throws 37 TDs, 10 picks – has the third best TD inter- uh, interception differential in the league behind only Brady and Rodgers. And I'm like, he didn't play great, and he still had a really good year, and that shows you just how good he is. But the bottom line is when you sign that contract, bro, the underdog story is over. You're supposed to deliver. He'll get the most of the blame, right? I mean, and that's just the way it goes. And, and, and 
when you're making when you're playing the position that he plays and you're getting paid the money he's getting getting paid and he'll get the bulk of the credit whether it's due or not as well when, when they do win games I, I think that the issue was and I said the three games right it was 43 against Atlanta 51 or 56 against Washington and 51 or 56 against Philadelphia which I, I, that seems like a year and a half ago at this point it was the wild swings that this offense had that made you like you, you just it nothing was was all incongruent and nothing went together that, that's why like now everybody's like I said Kellen Moore is the worst offense coordinator not gonna, never going to do anything without uh, with him as the guy they got to get rid of him and then it's well Dak can never win a Super Bowl da, 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 da. you know it's like well wait a minute now take a breath and see what happened and now come up with answers and also realizing what we said at the start of this thing winning a Super Bowl is really hard like might that be the hardest thing what what's the hardest thing to do in team sports? Is it harder harder to win a football title than it is a Stanley Cup or a World Series or an NBA title? If we're just looking yeah. at the yeah, because it's, a, it's a, every game is game seven. It's a one game scenario that that that's why we see teams well, that aren't the number one seed win in single game situations. No, you're exactly right. It's it's the best team team the best team doesn't always win the Super Bowl. It's who plays the best. Right, look at this Super Bowl. That's two four seeds. You can't convince me that the if the Cowboys played the Bengals tomorrow, don't you think the Cowboys would be a favorite in that game by Vegas' standards? If the Cowboys yes, played the Rams, if the game was at AT&T Stadium, I'm sure they'd be favored. Now it might not be more than – might be under the three-point threshold, but they'd be so – that yeah, I mean, you know, and maybe we've said this before. The Cowboys are close to becoming a championship team. They're also miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away from being a championship team. Both things can be true, and I don't know how you can get to the answer. Look, we're going to be in Oxnard in August. We're going to say, yeah, this team can win a Super Bowl, if not sooner than that. And, and not just because we're idiots, but because you're going to look around and say, well, who else in the NFC scares you? The same thing that we said this year. That's very true. And, you know, Todd, you had an article that you had dropped on ESPN a couple of days back talking about why the Cowboys contention window might not be wide open and, and going through some of those reasons where you may get to Oxnard and this may be one of those times where you look at this and, and who knows because there's so many names that you have listed of all these free agents and the big ones like Gallup and Schultz and, and even Connor Williams and Keanu Neal and Van Der Esch and there's so many that it, it's hard to know exactly what they're going to be able to bring back to make this team at least look more competitive than it was going into this season. Absolutely, and you know, and I'm not a salary cap hell guy, uh, but this is as challenging a year as they will have had in quite some time in managing their salary cap because of where they are in terms of number of players currently under contract and how far over they have to do. And you know, we can all come up with the cash and all in in the cap room by restructure this guy and cut this guy. And well, they're still going to have to replace those guys and get performances from those replacements that are beyond more than serviceable, right? Like it's easy to say, well, just cut Amari Cooper and there's 16 million right there. Okay. Can you tell me that Michael Gallup is going to be healthy uh, when the season starts? Can you tell me CD lamb can be a number one receiver uh, in this league? Can you tell me Cedric Wilson's going to be back? Can they draft the receiver in the first couple rounds that can fill in that role? So it's not that, that it's not that simple with Demarcus Lawrence. There's no way he can count $27 million against the cap. Okay, well, well, if you get rid of him, 
then what are you going to do? Are you going to move Micah Parsons to a full-time defensive end? Okay, you want to do that? Cool, I'm with you. Well, then how are you going to replace Micah Parsons? If, if, if late, is Leighton Vanderish back? Well, do you have the money to keep him? Oh, let's go to the tight end spot. Dalton Schultz probably pay, played himself into a nice payday. Can you keep him with Blake Jarwin counting four point something against the cap or whatever it is? He's in the top ten. Um, so, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, all of these things you keep coming together that it's easy to just say, well, do this and do this and this, and it's all, you know, you, you can get under the cap and you can go sign these guys. There are, there are extenuating circumstances for each case that you can make to say, well, you really shouldn't do that because there are so many other questions that you've just uncovered. It's like once you answer one question, you've created three more. It sounds like doom and gloom for next year. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the it out. Maybe it is. <laughs> Where's and, the and that's talk? why. Well, well, all right. Well, here you go. I'll, it's maybe more doom and gloom. And, and that's why I wonder, does it make more sense to do what the Rams do? like, And, and just say, we don't need this first round pick. Who cares? Now, you, you better get to a Super Bowl and win it, right? And they're there for the second time in the last couple of years. But if you win it, are any do any fans care what happens three to five years down the road with the Rams? They'll be like, we won a Super Bowl, man. We're good. Yep. Like, I, there are ways to build the, the, the teams, and there's draft and develop, and there's free agency. And to me, the Rams kind of went the NBA approach of, we're not drafting and developing. We're gonna we're gonna have stock top, top of the roster guys and fifth, sixth, seventh round draft picks, and hope that they can that we can coach them up and play really well. It's worked for them this year. I don't know if anybody actually copies that model, uh, but but there should be a blend and a marriage between the two. That I think the Cowboys' approach is solid. It's good. You want to draft and develop, but your your biggest free agent signing shouldn't be Terrell Basham either. Yeah, I don't think anybody's taking the Rams approach because you got to have big balls to do that. Huge. I mean, you really do. Because if you miss, you're screwed. I mean, the oh, fact I'm sorry. I thought Jerry Jones had those. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought Jerry Jones had those. Well, what? I mean, they traded for Charles Haley. They couldn't spell Super Bowl before they got him. And what did he do in 95? He went and got Dion because, well, he didn't want Dion playing for the Niners either. And it made his team a whole heck of a lot better, and they won a Super Bowl. So, like, we built – Jerry has a reputation of doing all these things, but if we actually look at it closely in the last however many years, he's not done those things, right? Their biggest free agent signing since 2012, well, Brandon Carr is their last big one. What's the biggest one since then in free agency? And, and I, I, I don't really know. Igor Olshansky, he might have been actually before that, too. That was just being, <laughs> oh, that was being facetious. God, but, wow. I was going to say, the, one of the most <laughs> random players ever. Dude, wow. I, uh, that, that, that sent me down for a standing eight count, Igor Olshansky. It is. It's true. It's a fair point. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, not that they can do it this year, but I got to say, man, until I read your article, I didn't realize that four wide receivers are free agents, which basically leaves them with Cooper and Lamb and the hope that you can, I mean, you got to bring back some of these guys, you would think, but if they get offered more money somewhere else, I mean, they could basically be turning over their entire receiving group in one off season. Well, two of those, Noah Brown and Lee Turner, so, they can't go get a Noah Brown and 
turner anywhere right in my mind so but I'm, but when you factor in the amari decision and then can cd step up and michael gallup coming off the knee injury like to me i'm not michael gallup's agent and i don't know what market's going to be out there i think it would be better for him to take a one-year deal from the cowboys stay with a quarterback in an offense he knows to hopefully have the year he thought he was going to have in 2021 and have it in 2022 and then get out in the open market where maybe he'll have a better opportunity. Cedric Wilson, to me, is going to be the guy that people are going to go, how did he get that much money? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to be a a five to six million a year guy in this market just because. And, and, you know, so, yeah, like, if you want to – we've seen Dak go with receivers that can't play. You know, go back to Gallup's rookie year when it was – I don't say can't play, but guys that have not – proven themselves worthy when it was Hearns and Deontay Thompson and uh, who else was in that mix. I think Beasley was still here, but we've seen him, you know, work w- with those kind of guys and it's not gone well. I-, I-, I would think you better hope that CD can make a jump and he kind of went south towards the end of the year. Again, was it him or was it the offense and the scheme? I- I- I'm going to put it all on everybody. Uh, you know, Amari won 100 yard game after the opener. Was it him or was it the, was it the offense? So I'm going to say it was everybody. Um, there, there's a lot to fix and there's a lot of answers. But like I said, like, you know, and you, like when we were little kids and you'd pick up that rock and like you'd see all these like worms and bugs and stuff, like, oh, I didn't know that was under there. That's what this offseason is like, where it's going to be a situation where you, you pick up the rock and everything is. Oh gosh, I didn't know that was under there. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that uh, I think that makes sense. I think um, I don't think this offense is better right now without Amari Cooper in it. Um, I also know that when I was watching the game, but you have to factor in. Uh, let me, time out. I'm going to interrupt you here. Go ahead, I man. Agree with your segment. I agree with your premise that they're not better without Amari Cooper on offense. But they paid him as a number one receiver, and they don't use him like a number one receiver. Um, so if you're is... not going to use him as a number one receiver, then you don't you shouldn't pay you shouldn't pay him that kind of money. Uh, that's uh, that's that's actually good and accurate, and that's what I was leading into. Which is, if you watch the game Sunday, even though Tyreek Hill didn't catch a ball in the second half, it wasn't from lack of effort. Like look at the way they moved him around whether it was out of the backfield and using motion or in the slot on either side or out wide or then motion into the slot or fake jet sweeps and then hit him on wheel. I mean, dude. And then I look at the way the Cowboys go and I go, there's just not enough creativity. They, I think they showed more than they have been, but there just isn't enough in terms of we really want Amari to touch the ball or we really want CD to touch the ball or we really want Pollard to touch the ball. And so, damn it, we're going to make sure that they touch the ball, and it's not a whole lot you could do about it. Right, and and that's the – we've seen it, though, right? We've seen them move these guys around and play them in different spots, and not every route is like your electric football game, right, where everything is – and just turn around. Like, we've seen the offense have, like, I, 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 I can't, you know, flow to it, where it does – you know, there, there's movement and, and – so what happened to it? Why was it? Why weren't they doing that later on in the season? Why did they move so far to the other end of the, pen, the spectrum to where it was 
not – that offense looked nothing like the offense in Tampa, certainly nothing like the offense against the Patriots before Dak got hurt. They put up more yards against the Bill Belichick defense than anybody has ever done. That offense did not look that way again. Like, what happened between October 31st – nope, October 17th and the rest of the season? Like, where did it go? And, and, and that's where I get Jerry's point of, don't tell me at the end of the season you're going to fix this, fix this. Why weren't you fixing this during the season? And why was it obvious to us then, who don't know what we're seeing, at least seemingly obvious to us, that we don't know what we're looking at, that it wasn't obvious to these guys who do it for a living every day that this running game got stale. Remember, remember we talked about, hey, how come y'all don't run anything outside anymore? And then the following week, what they do? They ran outside and they had success. Hey, how come you don't do any more of the scissors plays? And they do some scissors and they have some success. Like, what, you know, are you one of, is it one of those things where you're just so close to it that your focus, you've lost your peripheral vision on these things that you're not taking as much as they sell scout that they really don't, I don't want to say they don't sell scout, but they, maybe they just don't do a good job of it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or they don't read enough. They I, don't don't know she, I don't know what she can come up with. They don't read enough ESPN or enough Dallas Morning News, perhaps. Or listen to the Jam podcast, podcast that we're currently on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because if they did, they would know. Hell yeah, they would. All right, Todd. As always, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. You got it, guys. Thanks. All right, see you. And there he is. That is our ESPN Cowboys insider, Todd Archer, brought to you by Blue Star Motor Group, bluestarmotorgroup.com. As we tell you every time, and I hope that this is, you know, my hope is that we say it enough where somebody this year would be like, you know what? I am about to buy a car, and I do need to include Blue Star Motor Group. Get them into the process. Call Deb, shoot her a text, let her know you're looking for something. 817-881-4066. She will get back to you, ask you a few questions. And I'll tell you this, maybe you end up getting it from Blue Star, maybe you don't. But if you don't include them in the process, you're never going to know how great of a deal you actually can get with them. Now, and take it from me, they're all about deals. And here's why. Um... It's they want every car deal, whether they're selling you a car, whether you're buying, a, they're buying a car from you to be a win win situation. And so they go out of their way to make it work for you. Not every car dealer does that. That's why they're good. That's why they've been around so long. And that's why they'll give you probably the best deal you can find. Just give them a call and see. Yes, you got to make it happen. It's very easy to do. Go to their website, peruse their inventory, see something you like. Give her a call. 817-881-4066. It's Deb. Or if you're like, oh, I don't like to talk on the phone, shoot her a text. She'll respond. 817-881-4066. And don't forget, if you're looking to buy a car or sell your car, I should say, they'll come to you. You can, again, call, shoot her a text, let her know what you've got. She'll ask you a couple of questions. You'll work out a deal. They will come to you. She will drop you off a bag of cash and neatly stacked and organized 100s that are untraceable. I don't know if that's true, but... <laughs> The point is they will bring cash to your house and take your car from you. It's that easy with Blue Star Motor Group online at bluestarmotorgroup.com or 817-881-4066, Blue Star Motor Group. Also, of course, our friends there at Smokey John's Barbecue. We've been telling you about them for a while, and yes, they are doing the Jam Session Bowl. I think everybody who's had the Jam Session Bowl has sent us a picture and is like, oh my God, you guys weren't kidding around. This is amazing. We only tell you about stuff we like on the podcast, people. 
It's really good. The Jam Session Bowl off the secret menu. If you haven't had it, I would highly encourage you to go get it. But I would also tell you this. <laughs> Everybody is going to be having big game watching parties coming up here in a couple of weeks. You're going to have to provide food for your watching party. Yep. Smokey John's Barbecue is offering a couple of different options here. For $105, you get the first down pack, which is three pounds of wings, a half gallon of brisket queso, and a half gallon of potato salad or baked beans. Or you can get the touchdown pack. It's $220. It includes what I just told you. It also comes with two pounds of chopped brisket, two pounds of ribs, and a half gallon of potato salad and baked beans for $220. That will serve your party. Dude, you can't beat that with a baseball bat. No, And sir. it's all delicious. And that's the only way Smokey Johns knows how to do it. If you order it and you let them know you're a Jam Session listener, you get a complimentary gallon of fresh brewed sweet tea or homemade lemonade if you order one of those packs. That's how My easy it God, is. My God, man. My God. You got to do it. It's Smokey Johns, Smokey Johns Barbecue, SmokeyJohns.com, right there off of Mockingbird, just north of downtown Dallas. If you haven't been yet, you need to get their meat in your mouth. <laughs> I don't even know if I can laugh at that. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? Juan's going to love that one, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that Brent will love it. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. It just I was thinking alliteration, and it came out, and I couldn't. Like As soon as I said it, I just died laughing. <sighs> oh, you need to get their meat in your mouth. Smokey John's barbecue. <laughs> hey, fellas, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was awesome. So let's move on to this conversation, which if anybody has been following along on Twitter on February 1st, the afternoon of, what is happening is going to potentially change the NFL forever. And this is just the beginning Brian Flores, who many of you probably recognize that name. Brian Flores was fired by the Miami Dolphins, and he was the one name. We had talked about that where I was like, man, that, that blew my mind that Miami decided to fire Brian Flores because I actually think that he was a coach that was going to have success. But well, now we know why. So Brian Flores, who has been trying to interview or has been interviewing, I should say, with a variety of different franchises, one of the franchises that he was going to interview with was the New York Giants. He is now suing the NFL for racial discrimination, and he is citing his interview with the New York Giants as the reason why. And part of his lawsuit includes text messages from Bill Belichick, the Patriots. And again, Flores worked under Bill Belichick in New England. And Belichick was congratulating him on getting a job. And Flores responds in the text, uh, have you heard something I haven't heard? And Belichick responds, giants, like all excited about it. And Flores responds going, my interview isn't until next Thursday. And at the end of the text, Belichick basically says, I mean, he, literally he says, oh, I'm sorry, I fucked up. I thought I was texting Brian Dable, who the giants did hire. And he goes, basically, my bad, sorry. And so he was telling, or he let Brian Flores mistakenly know, three days before Flores was set to interview with the Giants, 
Belichick had already found out from somebody that they were going to hire Brian Dable. Yeah. And that's a problem, bro. Yeah. Because that's uh, that's the epitome of a bullshit sham interview just for the Rooney rule or whatever. Um, I was in the midst of trying to look this up, too, because I remember somebody put a story together or a tweet together that said Mara phone uh, floors and said, this is you really have a shot at this job. You know, this is not a sham interview. You really have a shot at this job. Yeah. Um, Which is which, you know. You felt he probably felt he had to do that. Why? Because the dude that they hired um, was the assistant GM in Buffalo. So it makes sense that you go, oh, you assistant GM in Buffalo. Uh, you're not going to take their head coach. You'll take their offensive coordinator, especially since you got a quarterback here who needs help. Right. All right. So it makes sense. It made sense all along the way that Day Ball's a guy. Makes sense. But, oh, you know, Flores is out there. Yeah, let's interview him. He's, he's got a relationship with this guy from somewhere. Um, but, you know, uh, that's a problem, bro, because uh, it means you you had no intention of him being a guy. Uh, here's the other interesting tidbit for me. Now, this lawsuit was just filed today. Right, this yeah. This afternoon. Yeah. It just popped, okay? So the NFL comes out with their statement. Okay, um, blah, 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 about diversity and equity and all of that. The final sentence of their statement is we will defend against these claims which are without merit. The lawsuit just came out, duh. Yeah. How can you investigate and, you know, the lawsuit just came out. How can you look at the lawsuit, talk to the people who have been accused of whatever they've been accused of in an hour or so, and then come out with it's without merit? Like, that don't even make sense to me. That's not... You know, all this blah, blah, blah stuff, we will vigorously look into this, you know, to make sure nothing has occurred or whatever, however yeah. legal leads yeah. you use. But not without merit when you just got it, if you really gave a damn. But I contend they've never given a damn. It's a lot of pomp and circumstance. Let's play the Black National Anthem uh, before a game. Maybe that'll shut them up for a little while. Let's put this stuff on the back of the helmet. Maybe that'll shut them up for a little while. These are all symbolic gestures that don't mean shit. Yeah, and, and there's more in the lawsuit. I mean, it points out that in 2019, before he got the Dolphins job, he was interviewing with the Broncos and that John Elway and whoever the president of the Broncos was or whatever showed up late, an hour late to the interview and were obviously like majorly hung over and had no interest in really interviewing him, but they had to because of the Rooney rule. And it, it's interesting, Charles Robinson, who you know and who is the senior NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports, we've talked to him many times, he put up on Twitter that this Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL is going to resonate throughout sports and be a significant moment in the history of the league. I've already spoken to two other coaches who believe they have the receipts to be a part of the class. This could be a tsunami before it's over. Well, that's the deal, man. You know, people send these text messages not understanding and not realizing that text messages are easily part of any lawsuit that you're involved in or involved with. You know, if Matt says, hey, I'm going to kill you, Taylor. I don't like the way you did the podcast today. Now show up dead. You, you better guarantee yourself those yeah. text messages will be, will be part, of the, part of the trial. And so, you know, and when they're text messages, what are they? They're the person's words. You can't deny it. You texted it. It, it shows up. Um, <clears throat> you know, so this is all going to be very interesting. I put out a tweet. Now, I ain't a lawyer. I don't pretend to be one. 
whatever. But I put out a tweet that, you know, the problem for the NFL is the discovery part, man. Where Flores' lawyers say, just give me all of that. You know, they however they legally say it, give me all of this so I can sift through it and find out what I need. Yeah. Where they start asking you for all your text messages. Dude, don't nobody want all. I mean, do you want all your text messages uh, exposed out there, man? I know I don't. Yeah, nobody the, does. Nobody does. The ones, the ones where you called somebody, you mad at your boss, you right. called him this, you called him that. Or you got mad at your wife, you said, and you sent your boy a text, man. Can't believe this did this and yeah. she get on my blinking nerve. Well, you was just mad for the minute. You didn't really mean all of that. And you just venting to your boy. Or your girl, your wife sends it to her girlfriend. I can't believe yeah. it. Uh, yeah, she don't really mean that. She's just venting for the moment. You don't want all of that available to be scrutinized. Well, you said it, Mr. Taylor. Well, yeah, but I didn't. But you said it. Yeah, but I but you said it. Ah, well, damn, dog. You ain't never said nothing when you got mad. Yeah, but I'm not on trial right now. That's true, man. And and this is going to be fascinating as the NFL figures out a way to who knows what they do with this or how they respond. I mean, truly respond to it. I don't mean the ridiculous whatever that PR thing was they put out when they get into a court of law. You know, Michael McCann. He used to be the legal expert for sports legal stuff at Sports right. Illustrated. And I think now he works for something called Sportico. But he's really, really good. And, and you can find him on Twitter at McCann Sports Law. And he basically throws out all this type of thing about the legalese of all this. And that the reality of it being, if this actually ends up going to trial, that the NFL can basically say whatever they want right now. But one, if, if this makes it to trial that when everything is under oath and all of a sudden there's like legal ramifications for what you are saying and, and yeah, you're on like the record. Yeah, you can't lie. <laughs> yeah, then all of a sudden stuff like this, the it becomes a completely different world. Yeah, like did you intend to hire him when you called him? Right. Um, no. <laughs> um, here's, some, here's another interesting tidbit uh, that just popped, or maybe you've seen it already, Matt. Uh, Flores' class action lawsuit against the NFL, he's being represented by the same firm that represented uh, Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein's victims and former Fox News employees. So they know how to do this thing is what is the point. And um, look how quick this thing happened too, bro. Dayball just had his news conference yesterday. Um, dude, a lot of dirt about to pop in the NFL. And so... You know, what's the, what's the typical thing when you do this, man? You try to settle. What do you want, bro? What do you want? No, I don't want money. I'm good. I grew up poor in yeah. New York City, I think. I've got money from being an NFL coach, and I just got, you know, I've, I've been an NFL coach in Miami for, you know, I had a five-year deal, so I still got two more years to get paid. I'm good, man. <laughs> so I don't want your money, unless we're talking like $100 million, um, for my pain and anguish and suffering and embarrassment. And the NFL, that's $3 million a team. Yeah, we'll do that. But we don't want to go – we don't want to take this to the, to the end. Um, it's going to be fascinating, man, because Flores is not going to get another job coaching in the NFL. Nope. No, he has put – and he basically is acknowledging that, I think, and, and realizing that there's a very good chance that he is going to be, whatever you want to say, I mean, kind of hidden. But – in a sense where this will never happen. Like, they're going to try to put this. The NFL will do whatever it takes to sweep this under the rug, but yeah, I don't the, think they're uh, going to be able to. 
No, but what he'll what he will be able to do is one, he can write a book about it, and two, he can be anywhere and everywhere about it. And at some point, somebody will hire him. Somebody who thinks he got screwed will hire him to do something, uh, you know, along those lines. And the other weird thing that's in this lawsuit is this whole deal with the Dolphins, where in the lawsuit, it says, and this is true, he was fired by the Dolphins after leading the team to its first back-to-back winning seasons since 2003. The purported basis for his termination was allegedly poor collaboration. In reality, the writing had been on the wall since his first season as head coach when he refused his owner's directive to tank for the first pick in the draft. During the 2019 season, Miami's owner, Stephen Ross, told Mr. Flores that he would pay him $100,000 for every loss and that the owner and the general manager were mad that he was having success in winning games that year because it was compromising the team's draft position. Now, again, this is just Flores saying this, but this is what's in the lawsuit. And the Dolphins have said, no, of course, of course the Dolphins are coming out saying this isn't true. But Flores is claiming that he was offered $100,000 by the owner of the Dolphins to lose on purpose. Yeah, Betty. Wow. I I don't, I believe that. I do too. I mean. Because you want the first pick in the draft. Yeah. I mean, hell, Mark Cuban was fined for basically alluding to to something very similar a few years ago when he kind of basically acknowledged at some points that's what you're definitely trying to do. Like, like you're not going to win. You might as well try to get the best draft pick and put yourself in the, in the NBA in, in the best lottery position. And so, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't doubt any of this. Wouldn't surprise me at all that the Dolphins wanted to lose on purpose to get the best possible draft pick. Nah, bro. Uh, this is going to be fascinating here. Fascinating, 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 man. It is. Uh, you know. You know, the Broncos are already out here saying we've got minutes from our meeting and we, we started on time. Well, see, when, when that happens, man, it's, it's obvious that somebody's lying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Flores is lying or the Broncos are lying. Right. And, and again, what's interesting is, and you don't know what they put in the thing and what they held back, because what's a normal course of action? I'm just saying like a normal course of action if you're Brian Flores and this happens. You, if it really happens, say it happened to me, I would text one of my boys, can you believe this shit, man? I showed up for these meetings, motherfuckers show up drunk and shit, an yeah. hour late. Yeah. Whoever my boy is, Clarence, Calvin, Matt, whoever my boy is, I'd be like, man, can you believe I got up early for this thing, man, dressed all like, oh, you send it to your wife or your girl. But something like that, you typically have sent a text to somebody documenting it because you pissed off like they didn't take me seriously man had me get up here do all this mess blah 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 yeah and uh and they show up drunk hung over looking looking like they just stepped out the strip club or, or however you term it so if that happened i would bet you that he sent a text to somebody about that even if it was his agent you know what i mean yeah and this is the type of thing, like going back to what McCann was talking about, that all these types of things are going to come to light if, because there, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Flores is like, no, like that if I want this going out to the, I want it to go to trial. Like I want yeah. this to get to a place where we are under oath and we have to have discovery and all this stuff has to be submitted and, and nobody can just sweep this under the rug and make this go away. Yeah. Nah. Nope. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it'll go to trial unless he wants to settle. 
And if he's decided I don't want to settle, bro. Whoo. And now Cameron Wolf just put this up on Twitter. He's a reporter for the NFL Network. He says that the message he just got from Brian Flores and his team about this lawsuit, it was time to stop being quiet about the injustices that are happening. This was long overdue. There's plenty of racism that needs to be exposed. Yeah, that don't sound like somebody who wants to settle. No, not at all. <laughs> no, so the, the NFL, and they, they'll do what they can, and they will try to do everything they can, but it, it, this is going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, and in the end, what kind of changes are actually truly implemented in this league and instead of the Rooney rule that many people have thought and for many years is just basically a nothingness. Yeah, now nah, I'm interested because Cameron Wolf's my boy. Uh, I've known him since he first broke into business uh, covering the Broncos back in the day, about five or six years ago. He's a fast riser. But now he's at the NFL Network, and we'll see how long he keeps uh, putting out these types of tweets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Working for or the league's he, network. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Or if he gets the uh, – make sure you run that past us before you put it out there. And what were we just talking about, Matt? We were just talking about the fan and the flagship. Yep. Let's not act like that doesn't happen. You know, MLB Network fired, in essence, Ken Rosenthal. Yeah. He said, he said the commissioner is, I'm paraphrasing, I was commissioner full of shit. You know, he, he wants his lockout, blah, 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 blah. They're like, okay, you got to go. So, I ain't going to believe, this is just your boy here. Anything you get from the NFL Network is slanted in general toward an NFL, NFL perspective. Because who, who owns that thing? The yeah. NFL owns it. I mean, it doesn't mean they might not be critical, but... It's not going to be so critical when it's owned by the league. Just like if you read the, the stuff that the people on the Cowboys website write. They occasionally write critical pieces. They're only going to be so critical, though. Why? Because they got to deal with the players and Jerry Jones on a daily basis because they work with them. They're employees of the team. They, can only, they can't be wilding out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. That's exactly and how it is. I once had some very, 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 very general conversation about what it might be like to work there. And in those very general conversations, I had already decided like, okay, if I decide that that's the direction I want to go, then I just got to know that I can't be doing what I typically do. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it ain't going to work. It just ain't going to work. And so if I decide that that's an opportunity that shows up, then I got to be willing to change because the shock I'm used to being is not going to work at Cowboys.com. Now, again, those were uber, uber uh, general conversations, and they never moved anywhere past that. But, you know, that's what it was like. That's the way it is, man. I mean, that's just the reality of, of that part of the business. That's just how it is. The other thing, just real quick, is I wanted to mention this. Tom Brady officially today retires. And, you know, Schefter and Darlington had said he was going to retire. We talked about this on Sunday night about, you know, what happened with this. And, and Schefter, for him to put it out there and not be 100% on this thing is weird. And I wonder if somebody in, it, like, in, somebody in Brady's close-knit circle leaked this thing and Brady wanted to do it the way he wanted to do it. And wanted to act like, oh, well, I haven't really decided. And then realized, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to do it my way anyway. But I didn't want it to be because of there was this report. Like, he didn't want it to get out. Yeah, I mean, he want, I mean you know, somebody, somebody said today, somebody on Twitter, they should have let him break his own news. Well, that just ain't how the business works, bro. 
it's just not how the business works. If you want to keep a secret, the way you keep a secret in the NFL is you don't tell anybody, not your agent, not anybody. Because the agent tells uh, his partners or his uh, assistant, and then they start, they, they leak it out accidentally or on purpose or whatever. So the only way to keep a secret is to not tell anybody, literally anybody. And Tom Brady could have done that. But clearly, he told some people, uh, either, either because he was giving them my, hey, man, uh, I know y'all usually don't look at quarterbacks in the draft, y'all better look at them at the Senior Bowl next week because yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, or whatever. Right. So um, I used to tell people all the time, it's almost impossible to keep a secret. And I'll take you behind the curtain a little bit. When I was on the beat and I was really crushing it, I mean, killing it, like getting Basically every story, not every story, but basically every story. My two best sources, my two best sources didn't even work for the Cowboys, man. They were guys who were personal assistants to players or or had relationships with multiple players. Like when I say multiple, I mean like eight or nine or ten yeah. players. And they were with them all the time. And we got to be boys and they would just say, hey, man, so-and-so was talking about this today. I don't know if you heard that. And I like, all right, I'll look into it. And sometimes there was nothing. And a lot of times there was something. <laughs> and people would be, I can't believe how you knew that. How you fit it? And it was because I had these two sources who had no affiliation whatsoever with the Cowboys, but they were boys with the players. Nice. And so I hung out with those, those guys and really built those relationships. And uh, like, I'll never forget, one of them called me up one day and said, man, I got some terrible news. I'm like, what's up? And his Haywood died, bro. I'm like, the running back? He's like, yeah, man. He just died. I just wanted you to know. And so I'm calling the Cowboys. Hey, man, you heard NSA would just die. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Because the guy I called did not know yet. Wow. And he called me back like 10 minutes later. Oh, my God. It's true. I'm like, dog, I wouldn't call you unless it was true. But, you know, I, you know, I, I just figured you knew. And uh, it was just circulating out to the building. But he was so tight with the players that he knew before the team knew. And so my whole point of that is there ain't no secrets. Like, there's just none unless you literally yeah. don't tell anybody. And then when you're talking about somebody like Adam Schefter and uh, who is it, Jeff Darlington, yeah. if you put their combined networks together, there really ain't no secrets, bro. And that's why they came across it. And they were right. I mean, at the end of the day, they were right. And, and, and Brady's done. You know, it's wild to me, aside from, yes, he has 35 career playoff wins, which is Joe Montana's second. Joe Montana was 16. And then Tom Brady with 35. He's got the seven Super Bowls. The crazy thing is he played 22 NFL seasons, but in only 20 of those was he a starter in more than one game. And obviously the first season, his rookie year, he started one game. And then it was 2008 when he blew out his knee in the opening game of the season. And he only played one game that year. Every other season, he played at least 12 games. And in most of them, he played 16. So I'm going to say he was a starter for 20 years, okay? Yeah. Of those seasons, 20 seasons, Tom Brady and 19 of them won at least 10 games or more. The only time he didn't, he went 9-7. and seven. So he never, in 22, in 20 years as a full-fledged NFL starter, never had a losing season. 19 times, won at least 10 games. And in 10 right. of the 20 seasons that he was a starting quarterback, he went to the Super Bowl. 
I mean, that's incredible. You know, over the course of his entire career, he only had 73 losses in the regular season. In 22 right. NFL seasons, he had 73 losses. I saw somebody yeah. earlier who was like, the Jets have had 76 losses in the last seven years. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's incredible. Wow. wow. Just an incredible yeah. career, man. Incredible career. It's the kind of career I really don't think um, I don't think we're going to see again. But then again, you know, you didn't think you'd see Brady's career until it happened. And so maybe there's some yeah. kid who hadn't been born yet who will uh, who will threaten some of these records or some of this type of thing. The problem, however, is the beauty of Brady is that you matched the greatest pressure quarterback with the greatest coach who happened to be a defensive mind. Yeah. And that's why, to me, that's why they had all that success. Um, and so, you know, how are you going to end up matching, you know, whoever this kid is who hadn't been born yet with the greatest coach of his era? <laughs> that's the tricky part. Yeah, and the, th the, the wild thing is, you know, I remember with, with Joe Montana. I mean, Bradshaw did it in, in, Bray, in, in, Brad, in Montana. And I thought, man, f I mean, four Super Bowl rings in a career – is unbelievable. And then Brady comes along and almost doubles it with seven. And, and maybe there is some kid out there that'll get seven or eight. But you got to be matched and you have to have health. And to be able to win that many Super Bowls, you know, and guys are going to be better later in their careers. But then, you know, the flip side of that is, again, look at Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and Dan Marino. And all the, those are three of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And each of them only ever played in one Super Bowl. And Brady played in 10. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, even when you talk about that, man, we're talking about the contemporaries, you know, Breeze and Rodgers, and you're like, again, look how hard it is to win when they've only got one, and they were the elite of the elite. Yeah, and, and okay, because it's easy, like in golf, you could say, well, you know, if Phil hadn't had to play in the era of Tiger, maybe he'd have a bunch more. And maybe you say that was some rings, but I'm talking about just getting to a Super Bowl. Rodgers and Breeze didn't have to go through Brady to get to a Super Bowl. And they still only ever went to one Super Bowl each. Yep. I mean, that, and obviously Rodgers did last year because in the NFC Championship game, Brady beat him when, when Tampa Bay won. But that's just, it's, it's absolutely wild. Seven rings and 10 Super Bowl appearances is something that is just mind-boggling in this sport. And, the, and to play at that level, he's an MVP candidate. I don't think he's going to win this year. I bet he finishes second. He's 44 years old. He's won three MVPs. He finished second three times, and he might finish second again this year for fourth. That's just, what a career. Yeah, and he's choosing to retire now. Yeah. It's <laughs> not like he can't play. He's I think, choosing to retire. You know, he went home and Giselle said, I mean, come on, Tom. Can't we just chill? And I mean, we're, our combined worth is like a billion dollars. Let's play with the kids, and you can play with me, and we'll have a good time. And he's like, all right, that's a good point. All right, so we move on, and we've got – this is a really interesting interview. I had a chance to jump on the phone, and I know a lot of you have done Bruce Biltong, and you've tried it. Jacques and I both really enjoy it. You go to BruceBiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. Use the promo code JAM15 for 15% off your order. But I had a chance to, to chat with the dude who started Bruce Biltong. He's a, he, just a super energetic, crazy South African dude who lives in America now. 
And so I wanted everybody to hear this conversation. So here it is. So here we are, and we have an opportunity. I know a lot of you listening have ordered your Bruce Biltong, and you enjoy it as much as I do. And the backstory of all this and how this came is, is really cool. So with us now on the phone here is the creator, the owner, the guy who started the company, Brews Biltong. It's Steve Brew Isaacs. What's up, Steve? What's going on? How's it, Brew? <laughs> so you got you got to explain so the how's it brew from what i understand is kind of like when here in america we all kind of say like what's up yeah so in south africa you know I, I was born and raised in south africa and came here for college when i was 18 and so i i'm a pretty friendly guy and so in my social circles and playing rugby you know i was an avid rugby player uh the way i'd say hi to the guys I'd say how's it brew and so then sort of I gained the nickname Brew from all the all the dudes or Steve Brew, you know, and so that's just it sort of stuck. And a, I've now been here for, I don't know, ten or seventeen years now. Actually I'm looking at the thing, it's like twenty years, twenty one years. Wow. And uh and that sort of stuck. Yeah, that's amazing. It's interesting that you can live somewhere so long, but you still have obviously the prominent South African accent. Yeah, I, I couldn't lose it if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to. It's awesome. Yeah, no, my friends, I, I mean, I've got my slew of American accents that my friends would all make me do, you know, do this accent, do that accent. So uh, I've got some some terrible American accents that I like to sometimes joke around with. But I, I couldn't do it, like, seriously if I tried. That's awesome. So, so <laughs> Bruce Biltong, man, and, and I know you've heard the way that we describe it, and I'm a huge fan of it. I think you know the story. Like, I, I honestly had never in my life heard of Biltong had never had Biltong until we started talking with you and your company. And I tried it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this stuff is amazing. I, like, like, I can't believe that there's this. It feels like an undiscovered secret to some degree in America because everybody's real familiar with beef jerky. But no, none of us know what Biltong is. And it's way better, in my opinion. Yeah, so in South Africa, there's no such thing as jerky. Right, and you'll go to supermarkets, and there'll be aisles that, like, say, Biltong on the aisle, like you know, in the, wow. at a you know, at the store. And uh, so, when a lot of South Africans come to America, you know, it's quite a lot of uh, immigrants that you know, come here. Um, they try to find a replacement, and a lot of them go and buy jerky and whatever they can get their hands on. They're like, "What is this? What is this stuff? You know, <laughs> what is this crap? You know?" And so, a lot of I think it's sort of a uh, a lot of South Africans kind of knock jerky and give it a bad name. I like to think, hey, you got to find the right stuff. You know, you got to find the right jerky. Similar to biltong. In, in South Africa, there's, there's a lot of biltong. A lot of it's junk also. Um, and so my family grew up as sort of biltong, like aficionados. You know, we always went out of our way to find the best biltong at the, you know, the sort of hidden gem sort of places there. And uh, so we grew up eating a lot of biltong. And then... At some point, uh, my dad started making his own, um, and he sort of hit an awesome, discovered an awesome recipe. And so um, I would go back, you know, I came to America in 2001, and I'd go back every sort of summer and winter break, and whenever I got a chance to go visit my parents who still live there. And so one year I went back there, and they gave me, you know, you can get a, a sort of a countertop um, built-on, like, maker. It's like a, just a, a food dehydrator. Wow. And so they, they, they gave me one of these things and a few bags of the of the sort of secret spice mix and just sort of stuffed it in my uh, my suitcase. It kind of looked like a couple of bricks of heroin. I was like worried I was going <laughs> to get busted at the airport. And, uh, and then just started making it. It was 
small scale and everyone I gave it to really loved it. And, uh, and you couldn't really get the good stuff here. You know, there's, there's quite a lot of places you can get it, but you can't, like, I've struggled to find the real good stuff in America. And so, uh, I'm super passionate about it and just want to make the best, best stuff you can get. And so, you know, I'd give it to friends and family, people loved it. And then I, I, I made like a bigger, uh, built-on, uh, machine, like a, just copying that same design, but using a big clear tub from Ikea, cut some holes in it, a few light bulbs and computer fans and made more. And then, you know, more, and however much I made, it was gone before I knew it. And then wow. eventually, like, my, my dad was like, hey, let me send you one of these industrial units, industrial machines from South Africa. And I saw this machine online. It's what a lot of the, the butchers in South Africa use. And so I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with this thing, you know? Like, <laughs> but he's like, just, just, I'll send it to you. You'll figure it out, you know? And so he sent this huge, like, industrial unit that I sent, set up in my garage. You can make, like, 220 pounds at a time. Um, and so however much I made, I just tried, like, you know, tell it to, to, to buddies and sort of friends, you know, friends and family and everyone who tried it really loved it. Um, and so, so yeah, I would like to, and it was more like, I was just so passionate about the product. I like, almost like more wanted to educate people about, Hey, try this awesome stuff. I'm sure it's like, like nothing you've ever tried. Mm. And, uh, and so I'd like have a backpack full of it at work and just like, see, Hey, who wants to <laughs> Who wants a built on, you know? And um, and it was I wasn't really making any money. I was just sort of just covering my costs essentially and just getting it out there. It, was, it wasn't about it was just about getting it out there and, and sort of having a good time and sharing this awesome product. And so um, yeah, so eventually I just decided to you know register the business. It's sort of um, been quite a quite a sort of difficult and tricky road actually getting it off the ground legitimately. And so we finally launched the website officially and and. Uh, I bit the bullet in getting um, getting someone who's already certified with a certified plant to start making it for mm. me um, to to sort of you know uh, avoid the big capital investment and all of that stuff sort of too early on. Um, and so I worked with this guy for about a year to to finally get the recipe right, you know, to to place where I was happy with it. And and so it's USDA certified, it's, it's legit. We sell it wherever we want. And so I just launched the, the website on July 1st and, and so far so good. Um, and I just want to, want to make sort of make sure to, before I forget, uh, I want to take a, take a moment to really thank all the, um, jam session listeners sponsoring the show was, was one of the best business decisions you know, we've made to this, this point and really made a big difference in, in getting the brand out there. And it seems like a lot of people really enjoy it. So really pumped about it and I can't thank, thank you guys enough. Yeah, we all appreciate that very much. And, and like I said, I mean, I do, Jacques and I really enjoy it. And when we tell people, it's funny because when I went home for Christmas, I was talking to my parents like, so, you know, this stuff you're talking about, this biltong, do you really like it? I was like, yes, are you kidding me? Like, it's amazing. Like, I absolutely love it. But how did you get to the point now where you, you kind of talked about the beginnings of the business. How do you get to the point, or I guess my... Really what I'm asking is where do you go from here? Is this something like the dream is to have it like in, you know, like you talk about in South Africa, you're walking around, they have aisles of biltong. Is that kind of like the goal to, to have this in stores and, and make it like more of a household thing where a lot of Americans are enjoying brews biltong? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that would be my dream. Um, you know, you, there's, a, there's a, quite a number of biltong brands around now. 
Um, and they are in some stores. So it's, it's definitely growing here. But frankly, a lot of the product is crap. You know, and so my, my thing is not just about the bag. It's what's inside the bag. I want to make the best stuff you can get. When you eat this stuff, you're like, damn, I need more of this. <laughs> and, uh, but I like, I've got this sort of vision. I, I want to make Biltong like an everyday word in, in America, you know, and, and it's, it's about sort of assimilating here and, and sort of really trying to, trying to sort of educate people on legit Biltong, you know, but, but yeah. Biltong is not, like teriyaki and there's not like 10 like 25 different flavors of biltong like there's there's usually just like original and maybe spicy you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so a lot of the companies yeah they're trying to almost you know also trying to make it like jerky but it's not jerky biltong is, is its own thing and well, so and and also a lot of them try to knock jerky which which i i don't want to knock jerky like it's you know it's, it's similar thing with biltong you got to find the right jerky you know jerky is awesome if you get the right stuff you know yeah that's true I, mean, I would agree with that so steve so you come to america and i know not only do you start this company and at bruce biltong and, and all of you listening hopefully are familiar with com. But you're also a rugby guy, and you're also a rocket scientist. So you're like a rocket scientist, <laughs> rugby playing biltong maker. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still play rugby yeah. even like today? Well, I um, I do not. I I still love rugby, but mm. um, I had a few too many concussions, so it was very it was, it was a tough choice to hang up the boots for good and stop playing. Um, and I actually met my wife at like the after party of the last game I ever played. Wow. And, uh, and so the rugby thing led me, like it led me to my wife and my, my amazing kids. Um, you know, and, and frankly, it was when I came to America, the rugby sort of, um, underground sort of community, which I think a lot of Americans are not really that all that aware of. But that's how I basically established some of my, my greatest friends. And, and that was sort of, um, you know, that's how I sort of, uh, my family away from, from my family. You know, my, my family was in, in South Africa. You know, and so the sort of the, the rugby community was a, was a super important part of my life. And, and I loved the game. Like, I, I was just, uh, just obsessed with playing rugby. Um, and actually, I, uh, um, I actually coached the USC rugby team for about seven years. I was wow. the back coach. That's um, pretty cool. And then when I started working at the uh, the rocket company, it was a little bit too demanding to do both at the same time. So that's when I sort of uh, took a bit of a, a step back from the, the sort of the rugby side of things and, and started focusing on building rockets and spacecraft. Yeah, man, that's rugby. Interestingly enough, I, I've hung around some rugby dudes. My, my middle brother played rugby for the University of Texas when he was in college. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, rugby dudes are some of the craziest people that I've ever been around <laughs> in my life. I mean, all, and it's not just like the way that you guys play the game, but like the stuff you like the drinking and the, the cheers and the chants that they do at the bar afterwards and all that. It's just like <laughs> crazy, but just yeah, like down, like just really good people in the rugby world. Yeah, no, I always thought it would make for interesting TV or a movie, really like sort of showing what goes on in the sort of this underground rugby world in America. Because it's just, it's, it's so awesome. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a, an eclectic mix of, of people from all over the world, you know, uh, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, the islands, you know, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, 
um, Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, you know, all of these different South America, you know, Argentina, France, even, you know, so there's like all of these, there's sort of like this melting pot of all these, these guys from all the different parts of the world with all their different sort of eccentricities. And, uh, yeah, there's just countless stories that I can think about of things that, yeah, you, you can't make this stuff up, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> We had this guy, he was a, actually an American guy. He, he went by Tarzan on our rugby team at USC. And uh, <laughs> this guy was famous for just like just crazy stuff. Like one of the things he would do, like wherever you were and you spilt a beer on the ground, no matter how dirty the ground was, he would yell, Zamboni! And then just slip <laughs> up the beer or whatever <laughs> uh, yeah, rug, rugby is a very underrated fun sport, man. The, the community of rugby, really, it, it's just so much fun to be a part of. And, and I've had some experience, like I said, around it. But Steve, I appreciate you doing this, man. Really enjoyed the conversation. And, and like I said, we all love brews, biltong, and keep it up and keep it man, coming, I've man. Got, I've got one more good thing to tell you that you might appreciate. Okay. All right. And so, so sorry, man. <laughs> But uh, one of the famous things in, in rugby is uh, when you score your first try, which is like a touchdown, mm. they make you what they, uh, what they call shoot the boot. And so at the end of the game, at the after party, usually at the end of the game, there's a sort of social with both teams at a bar or at someone's like a frat house or some, somewhere. And they basically take the biggest guy on the team, the biggest, nastiest rugby boot that they could find and take a used sock from somebody and they would pour the beer from the pitcher, strain mm-hmm. it through the sock into the boot, and then make make the the try scorer chug until until he was done. You know, in the whole bar, just you know, singing, you know, yeah. like the, the sort of you know, the chugging song or you know, encouraging the guy to you know shoot the boot. And it was just uh it's classic, man. It is. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it. the rugby stories, as you know, there's so many crazy rugby stories. And, I mean, rugby people are the craziest people on the planet. I'm convinced. They just are. And we love and we love our beer. <laughs> yeah, you and do. Good people. <laughs> they say it's a, what's that? It's a, a crazy man's game played by gentlemen. <laughs> that is a very good way to describe it. Very good way. All right, Steve, good stuff, man. I appreciate it, and we're going to keep ordering the biltong as long as you keep making it. Thanks, Matt. Can't thank you and your uh, your listeners enough. Thank you for, for, for this, and all the best to all of you. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.